Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe that the divine works through people to help us every day. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Hello, my name is Angel and I'll be your host as we explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. Hello and welcome to your oasis in the desert, a place where you can catch your breath, recharge, and heal. If you're new to the show, thank you very much for finding us. It is my Deepest hope and prayer that you find everything you're looking for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast, here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for all of your support. Ooh, doggy, am I ever excited about today's show? I know, when, when ain't I excited? Ain't, ain't. When aren't I? Excuse me, there goes my my backwoods English, or lack thereof. I know, when aren't I uh, excited? And, and that uh, I'm always excited. I'm, I'm so beyond happy and blessed to be here with all of you. How are y'all doing? Um, I think I've already asked that, but, you know, I'm, I really want to know. I mean, how are you all doing? Is everybody okay out there? If not, please reach out to me. Contact me. We love to pray. I love to pray. So reach out to me. I always have information at the end of each show on how to contact me for prayers. So with all that fanfare, (laughs) or lack thereof, who are we talking about today? How about if I introduce all of you to Father Lazarus L. Antony, one of the last desert fathers. And what I mean by that is he's one of the last desert fathers who is like, completely off the charts. I'm sure there's a lot of hidden ones out there that we don't know about yet, uh, but he's one that we do know about, and it was really by chance that we learned about uh, Father Lazarus, and I'll share with you his story. It is a, a really inspiring story about someone who had absolutely no faith and until their world was shaken to the very core. Um, And then just miracles began to be displayed before him to prove to him without a doubt that the divine does exist on many levels. And I'm so excited to share his story with all of you today. So Father Lazarus L. Antony was a former university lecturer in literature and philosophy Father Lazarus spent 40 years as an atheist. It wasn't until his mother died of cancer that he left his native Australia and set out to come to peace with what happened. His journey led him to God and to his life as a monk. So two articles today I'm going to be uh, taking information from. The first is from a Reddit article called My Life in Christ. Uh, by Father Lazarus L. Antony. Definitely we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. And the second one is a book called Desert Father, A Journey in the Wilderness with St. Anthony by James Cowan, C-O-W-A-N. Again, links in the show notes and show description. So all of the following that I'm going to be sharing here is pretty much all in 
uh, Father Lazarus's own words. He says, I was born in Tasmania, Australia, to Protestant parents of English ancestry. My parents brought me up in the Methodist church, but my mother used to take me to candlelight masses in the Roman Catholic Cathedral. When I was about 14 years old, I started to doubt all that I was being taught. Three things stole my childhood faith from my heart. The first was the presence of suffering everywhere about me. People suffered under natural disasters, floods, fires, and such like. People suffered from war and political troubles. People suffered from sickness in their own bodies. And people suffered at the hands of those they loved, family, friends, and lovers. All this suffering around me, and I must believe that God is good and cares for his creation and guides it and upholds it. I lost my faith. I suffered myself a great deal when I was young, and I became like Jonah, believing that death is better for me than life on such terms. The second thing that killed my faith in God was my passionate desire for perfection. I could see so much beauty in nature and so much ugliness in human beings who were twisted by suffering. I wanted human life to be perfect now in this beautiful world. I wanted to help make life beautiful, and I couldn't believe that God meant us to wait till we died to find perfection in him alone. I believe that power lies within ourselves to transform our world. Such was my way of thinking for many years. The third factor in my loss of faith was the corruption of Christians. If a tree is to be known by its fruit, then as I saw it, the tree of Christian faith was rotten because the fruit was so bad. Christians were hypocrites. Christians were liars and adulterers and every other evil under the sun. So what that told me was that faith in God doesn't make people better people. I was lost. I lived without God, without faith in God, for many years. I traveled around Australia and I worked in many different jobs, but I was always restless with no firm ground beneath my feet. Then I studied philosophy and Shakespeare and I started teaching at university. I taught a romantic view of life, that the earth is beautiful and that love is beautiful and that to die for beauty or for love was glorious. And many listened to me. I felt that I was sharing the truth with others, but I made a great sin in those days. I spoke often and strongly against Jesus, and I told all my students that he was a loser and not a winner. I did not give him even the respect due to his suffering. I tried to turn many away from following him. Like St. Paul before the conversion, I was against all who followed the way of Jesus. Ten years passed, and then suddenly my mother died of cancer. She had the cancer in her body for many years, but ignored it, and then it consumed her. In a great pain, she died. She was offered morphine three days before the end to stop the pain, but she refused it so that she would not pass into a coma, but be awake and be able to talk to me when I arrived in Tasmania from Australia to see her. I did see her before she died, and she tried to comfort me. She was dying, and I was sad. And she was the one giving hope. So in this great test of my inner strength, I failed and broke down. I was lost again. For 12 months after my mother died, I could not recover my happiness or my love of life. 
I was searching for my mother or another mother to take her place. I felt that I had no one to belong to without the mother who gave me life. Then I went back to the Roman Catholic Hospital where my mother had died, and I tried to find some peace by sitting beside the bed in which she breathed her last. The room was occupied, and I had to go to the library of the nun's convent to wait. There I read a book called The Seven-Story Mountain, which is by Thomas Merton, by the way. We spoke about that in his biography, which is a biography of an American monk. He was a philosopher like me, and he read the same books that I had read, and he thought and felt, as I thought and felt, his mother died. And his mother died, excuse me. Then he went to a monastery to find peace. So I thought I would go to a monastery to find peace too. The monastery I found was St. Sava's Serbian Orthodox Monastery. And I arrived there one Saturday. On Saturday, all Orthodox churches pray for the dead. And I went with the Serbian people to the cemetery. And there I saw how Orthodox people talk to the dead who are not dead, but alive in heaven rather than on earth. So I was sure that somehow I could learn from them how to talk to my mother. After that, all the people returned to the church to sing some hymns to St. Mary to ask her intercession for their departed. I entered the church last and watched as everyone went forward towards the great icon of St. Mary in a special frame on the wall with an oil lamp burning in front of it. All the people in turn made three matanias, which are prostrations, in front of the icon of St. Mary and kissed it, and then left. I watched curiously because I didn't understand what they were doing and thinking. Then, after all the men and women had passed by the icon, I went to it and said to myself, I am a visitor here, and I must do as they do. I knelt down on my knees, which was new and strange to me. As we entered the church, the people had told me the icon was of the Theotokos, or Mother of God. Now, as I was on my knees, I thought of this name, Mother of God. And I said to myself, I don't have a mother now. Why does God have a mother and I don't have a mother? Tears came to my eyes as I thought how lonely I was without a mother. Slowly, I stood up and prepared to make the second prostration. I knelt down as before and put my forehead on the floor and said the same words over again. Then I heard a voice, soft but clear and very sweet in my ears. I will be your mother. I thought the voice was coming from behind me, so I turned quickly to the left and the right to see if perhaps one of the Serbian women had come to comfort me. But there was no one there. I stood up. Then I had to make the third prostration. This time I said my words, which were really a prayer, although I didn't know it at, excuse me, I didn't know it. And this time I heard the voice again say, I will be your mother. And I was determined to know who was speaking. So I looked up and then suddenly she leaned forward towards me. St. Mary came out of the icon, which remained on the wall, the same as it was. But she was there in front of me looking at me with great love in her eyes and a smile on her face, and she repeated her promise, I will be your mother. A great flood of relief, of release from pain and grief, and a new joy flooded over me, and I knew I had a new mother. 
I cannot be sure how long it was that she looked down at me, but I saw her so clearly and so full of care for me that I was healed from all my trouble. She started to shine and the light was strong, so strong on me, and I had to bow my head and she went back inside the icon. I stood up and looked around. The church was as usual and nobody had seen or noticed anything. So as we see, the death of his mother was such a huge uh, impact on his life and that, you know, he reverted to what he was conditioned as a child. His mother would take him to Roman Catholic Mass, but, you know, I guess there was not a Roman Catholic Church in his area. Imagine that. So he went to an Orthodox Church and monastery, and this is where he had this life-changing experience of the Theotokos, the mother of God, actually coming out of the icon. So there's the first miracle that happened to uh, Father Lazarus. Now, it, it, gets, it gets better, I mean, not better, but there's more, more to the story, so we'll continue. I stayed in that monastery to be, be near my new mother, whom I could only reach through the icon. I left my home and resigned from the university and gave away my car to be with my heavenly mother, who had shown me so much love when I really needed it. The bishop of that Serbian monastery quickly realized that I had so much to learn about orthodoxy and about being a monk. So he sent me to Serbia and to Greece to live in ancient monasteries and learn how to know God. From early 1990 to late 1993, I was in Europe, and the two years I spent on Mount Athos in Greece taught me so much about the external life of obedience and Orthodox worship and the interior life of mystical prayer. But I had still a long journey to make to become a monk. There I learned about monasticism, but I still had to become a monk. St. Mary came to me twice, once in Serbia and once in Greece, to help me and to encourage me when my weak faith could not support me in the hours of darkness that came over me. The first occasion was a vision I had of Jesus Christ judging me for my hardness of heart, and St. Mary came and asked him to forgive me for her sake. I came to know and feel the great power of her intercession for sinners like me. The second time, she appeared to me one night as a light in a darkness that was physical and spiritual to remind me that she is always with me, watching over me, and that I must never give in to despair. So yet more, more upon more miracles, more visitations. By 1994, I was back in Australia at the Serbian monastery of St. Sava. One day, God willed it, as God willed it, the Serbian people had all gone with the priest and the deacon for a picnic outside the monastery, and I was alone looking after the church. A car came to the monastery, and there three young people got out. There were two girls and a boy. One of the girls was engaged to the boy. I thought they were Greek, but they told me they were Egyptian. I was uncertain if they were Christian, but they explained to me about the Coptic church and that they wanted to see the icon of St. Mary. After we went to the church and prayed together. The engaged couple went for a walk, and I sat with the other girl who wanted to read the Holy Bible with me. I was very hesitant because I was not in the habit of reading the Bible alone outside the church, but she encouraged me, 
and explained many verses to me that showed God leading people to leave everything they knew behind and to follow him. On another occasion, she told me about St. Anthony and his monastery in the Egyptian desert. I thought he was a Greek father, and I didn't know monks still lived in his monastery and near his cave. This girl opened my eyes to the heritage of the Coptic Desert Fathers as a living heritage and not just something found in books. She sang me Coptic songs and she prayed with me and really she led me to face God and to decide to follow St. Anthony. She had been for a visit to the monastery of St. Anthony and she showed me the picture book, the whole area and explained it all with faith in her heart and light in her eyes. Even now, nearly 20 years later, I cannot forget that through St. Mary working in her, I have been led to my salvation in Christ. So isn't that something? I mean, here he's where he believes he should be, but yet the divine is like, no, you're close, but <laughs> you're not there yet. In this teenage girl just shows up with her friend and, and her, you know, who's, you know, the engaged couple and just out of the kindness of her heart just sits down with this, you know, Father Lazarus was dressed as a monk at that time. So, you know, she's sitting down teaching this priest, this monk about his faith, about the, the their true faith. And I mean, you all can interpret it as you wish. I mean, there's so very little on this woman. I mean, I wish there was more information, like if they stayed in touch. Um, he never really expands on that, so I believe they probably weren't able to stay in touch. But, I mean, I, I really firmly believe she was an angel. I mean, that's just, whether you want to say an angel in human form or an intermittent angel that showed up to help and then vanished, I don't know, but she visited with him several times at that monastery while she was, you know, there visiting um, from Egypt. It's just, wow. I mean, here, here we see the, the, you know, the Legos sticking together, the Lincoln logs stacking up nice and neatly uh, along his path of how he should progress. So we'll continue. He says, well, she rang me one day and told me that His Holiness Pope Shenouda was coming to Australia, the Coptics have their own Pope, and that I should meet him and ask him if I could be a Coptic monk and follow St. Anthony. I met him when he was passing from the church of the new monastery to the guest hall, and I approached him. The deacons around me became aggressive, thinking I was intending to hurt the Pope, but he calmed them and asked me what I wanted. I explained that I wanted to come to Egypt and live in a monastery in the desert. And he replied in English, if you have the love of God in your heart, you can be happy anywhere. I told him that I didn't have a, the peace here, but I hoped to find it in Egypt. He looked at me for a long time with his eyes searching my heart. And then he said, welcome and passed on. My little friend asked me what he said. And when I told her, she was happy and said that Nothing could stop me now that Pope Shenouda had given me his blessing. So I turned my heart towards St. Anthony in prayer, asking him to guide me to his home in the desert and to let it be my home. 
I got a letter from the Coptic monastery in Australia to introduce me to the Pope's secretary in Cairo, and I bought my air ticket. When I arrived in Cairo, I was so impatient to meet the Pope and start my journey to the desert that I went to his office in Abbasia at 7.30 a.m. I knocked and a priest half opened the door and asked me what I wanted. I told him I wanted to see Pope Shenouda, and I gave him the letter. He took it and closed the door. I waited and waited, but he did not return, so I knocked again. When he came, I repeated my request, and he took me to a large waiting room, which had blue wallpaper, I remember. There I waited and waited and waited. Other people, other foreigners came and waited a short time and then were called out to see the Pope, but not me. By the evening, I was very sad and I went to the office and demanded to see His Holiness, but I was told I would have to see him in St. Bashoy Monastery. So I went in the car that carries the bags and we followed the Pope's car to St. Bashoy Monastery. It was Wednesday, so we arrived late after the Pope's weekly preaching in the cathedral and there were many bishops and priests waiting for him. Pope Shenouda got out of the car and everyone moved forward to kiss his hand and then he moved into the garden of his house and opened the door and went inside. Everyone but me knew that he would not come out again, so they left, and I remained alone on the driveway by the car. I was alone and didn't know what to do next. Then a priest monk came out to me in, a, in an Australia English, asked me who I was. I told him, and he explained that I would have to wait till tomorrow to see the Pope. So he gave me a room to sleep in, and I went to bed. In the morning, I went out on the balcony to wait to see when I could go to introduce myself to Pope Shenouda, but when he came out, many bishops and priests and lay people crowded around him, and I could not get to him. Then I thought the priest I met might call me, but he didn't. Then Pope Shenouda left in his car. I was told to wait till next week. So I went every day to Mass in St. Beshoy Monastery, but they would not give me Holy Communion because I was not yet Coptic. The next Wednesday the Pope came, but the same thing happened and I could not talk to him. For six weeks, this examination of my patience continued and I started to fail my exam. I became tired of waiting. Finally, after six weeks, I saw Pope Shenouda sitting alone outside his house and I went down to approach him. I entered his garden without showing any respect with any prostrations or kissing his hand or even without calling him your holiness, I just began rudely. You haven't spoken to me for six weeks. You've just left me on the outside. He looked at me and said, I am sorry I did not speak to you about the love of God, but I was not listening. I was too angry and I said, I don't need you and I don't need your God and I left him. I got on a bus from the monastery and returned to Cairo. When I got to Cairo, I became calmer and began to think about what I had done. I had spoken badly to the Pope of the whole church and left the monastery. Now I had no money to go back to Australia, and I knew nobody at all, and I couldn't speak Arabic. So I went to a cheap hotel and opened my Holy Bible to look for an answer. In the Bible, I found a picture of St. Mary 
from her appearance in Z-Town, Z-E-I-T-O-U-N, Z-Town, on top of the church. My little friend had given it to me. I decided to go there and ask my mother what I should do. I knew that Z-Town, at Z-Town, everyone had seen her, even non-Christian. So I thought that surely she would come to me again and help me. When I arrived at the church, there were some children inside singing, but they soon left. I went over to the life-size picture of St. Mary by the door, which had a sandbox for candles in front of it. I saw that it was exactly the same picture as the little one in my Bible, and I knelt down to ask her to help me. I looked up at her face, and I told her all I had done, and as I was finishing, she spoke to me immediately. Stay with me. I looked long at her face and then bowed my head, and when I looked up again, she repeated in English, Stay with me. Her voice was soft and sweet, but not weak. I could hear her clearly, clearly, and I knew she was with me. But I was puzzled for a moment because I thought to myself, I cannot stay in this church here now. But then I realized she wanted me to stay in Egypt and not leave this especially Egyptian appearance of her. So seeing light, not from the candles, but from her face shine on me and feeling her comfort and love, I bowed down again in thankfulness and peace. From that day to now, I love the way the Coptic people call her Om in Nor because she was a light to my eyes and to my heart that day. I went back to St. Beshoy Monastery and was very nervous because I thought the Pope might refuse to see me because I spoke so badly to him. When I arrived one kilometer from the monastery, the taxi driver told me he would not go any further. So I walked, and every step I took, I prayed, Mama, open the door. So sorry to be a cliffhanger <laughs> of sorts, but that's the end of that Reddit uh, article. Um, the next part I'm going to read is um, actually from uh, excerpts from the book Desert Father, A Journey in the Wilderness with St. Anthony by James Cowan. And of course, as I said before, links to all of this information will be uh, in the show notes. And as you can imagine, the Pope, of course, took him in and allowed him to join the Coptics and uh, stay in Egypt and, and study, you know, St. Anthony and, you know, actually gave him the namesake, Antony, which is their version of Anthony. So we continue in Father Lazarus' own words. I live on Mount Colzum in order to continue the tradition only. I don't see my actions as those that should be followed by others, except the rare few like myself who wish to maintain the tradition of the desert anchoritism for its own sake. It is our choice and not to be recommended to the many who are desperate to nourish their souls and alleviate their spiritual anxiety. I can't imagine, nor would I like to see it happen, that the desert would become once more populated by thousands of hermits living in caves. This would be to repeat history rather than to honor its gift. No, my dear friend, I feel we must find a new way to embrace the spirit's of anchoritism. You speak of an asceticism of the mind. I do think it's worthy of investigation. Yes? 
which means that we need to imagine a desert within ourselves, a place where we can dig out our own cave of the heart. This goes back to what the Pope was originally telling him is that, you know, the desert is wherever you are, you know, and, and that's what I've talked about many times in this show is about discouraging. I shouldn't say use the word discourage, but I guess it is. Try, I'm trying try to discourage people from extreme asceticism because um, it causes harm more than good. I believe there, there are few rare people, few rare types of people who can do the extreme ascetic life. But for the majority of us, it's um, it's not not good at all. Um, it can be quite detrimental and it can turn you away from your faith, which we definitely don't want. So as we see, even Father Lazarus here is, is saying the very same thing is that, you know, his way of life, that being a hermit in a in the desert, literally in Egypt, in a cave um, in the desert is definitely not for everyone. It's for a very minute uh, number of people. But have no fear of those who of us who are studying this mystic path. And those of you listening to the show know this show is all about the mystics. That's what the saints are, is that we see that we don't need to leave where we are. We don't need to leave our families. We don't need to go and travel the world and the seven seas as the rhythmic sang. Um, but it's all within us that the divine is inside us. And I spoke about this quite a bit when I taught Buddhism and Eastern philosophy. I know I say that a lot, but I mean, that's my point of reference, my conditioning, uh, my background. Um, but I taught the same thing because, you know, Buddhists and people who follow Eastern philosophy think the same thing that I've got to go to India and I've got to travel and 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 walk, you know, get, bathe myself in the Ganges River and and do all these, you know, hang out with the yogis and the ascetics. And and, you know, if you're Buddhist, you're like, you know, I've got to go to Japan if I'm Zen or Shinto or, you know, I've got to go to Tibet or, you know, um, Dharamsala, India, where His Holiness the Dalai Lama is. And I've got to meet him in order to further my faith. And that's not true. You don't have to do that. Everything you need is already inside you. You were created by it. You were born with it. It is always with you and you are always with it. You can't separate yourself from what you are, who you are, and from what you are. But I know it's the humanness in us that wants the journey that wants to explore that wants to go on the pilgrimage and the holy go to the holy places you know if i could only go to nazareth and jerusalem and and walk where jesus walked or you know i get that i understand it because you know i'd be a hypocrite if i said i wasn't similar to that i'm like that with books books take me to those places i don't need to physically go i feel that and experience that through books. So what do I do? <laughs> I surround myself with books. You know, I'm constantly, those of you who listen to the book nook know and have listened to the show for any length of time know that I'm constantly reading and studying books and texts and sacred texts and holy texts from various sources and various authors and various saints and uh, various faiths. And, um, you know, it's not that I'm searching, it's I'm confirming. 
You know, and, and you would say, well, why do you need confirmation if you know everything you've experienced, been through, should be confirmation of? Yes, but it is. But for me, more confirmation helps me to help confirm others, if that makes any sense at all. Um, so again, by me studying and me learning and and journeying in these books to these places, and with these people, helps me to help all of you to help those that um, um, ask for my assistance that ask me questions. I'm able to relate to them better, to help them better, to understand where they're coming from, from what their journey has been, uh, from what their experiences have been, and be able to express the divine to them in ways they can better understand. And also offer, you know, proof, you know, because we all want the proof, uh, the proof that the divine does exist, that miracles do happen, and that, you know, all of this is not gibberish, you know, regardless of what faith you follow, it's not junk, it's not gunk, it's true, it really is, at its core and its heart, there is such a truth there that transcends all of the faiths and religions, it connects them all to the same tree. So let me get back to Father Lazarus before I went chasing a squirrel again. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, I'll repeat again what he said is that, you know, this means that we need to imagine a desert within ourselves, a place where we can dig out our own cave of the heart. Such a cave must include a spiritual depth that can only be derived from appropriate ascetical behavior. Lazarus responded, we must recognize what Assesses truly means, meaning the ascetic life. It is the spirit of restraint, and we need to understand that it's only through self-imposed aggravation that a pearl is produced. Those old quarter pearls, divers like Ephraim, certainly knew what they were talking about. We must therefore learn how to practice asceticism even as we live a normal life. We need to find a way to impose upon ourselves a certain aggravation. The hair shirt can be made of other things beside the skin of a camel or a goat. What may I ask? Let me read you a piece which I feel might answer this question for you. Lazarus replied, rising from the seat and entering his cell. Presently he appeared carrying a small book which he opened on a previous selected page. John Cassian, one of Anthony's most notable successors in the ascetic life, as you know, made some interesting remarks on the subject. Slowly he began to read. We believe that discretion is the true light of the body. It is our sole guidance for life. We call it our divine counsel. Excuse me. Like a city that has its walls destroyed and is not fenced in, so is a man who does anything without counsel. When he says man, he means everybody. It's just a, a term that was in a sacred text. Our inward house cannot be built without discretion. Herein lies wisdom, intelligence, and understanding. A house is built with wisdom, and again it is set up with intelligence, with understanding. The storehouses are filled with all the precious riches and good things. The blessed Antony maintained that discretion leads us in stages to God. It is the mother of all virtues. 
Discretion is a quality of the mind and of the soul. Lazarus elaborated after he had closed the book. If we look upon it as a kind of hair shirt, that is, if we choose to practice discretion in all things, then we may begin to ascend in stages towards a higher level of consciousness. Inner asceticism is achieved by wearing the hair shirt of discretion. And I always mentioned hair shirt several times. Uh, that was something that uh, a lot of monks and nuns, uh, ascetics, used. One of the tools that they used uh, to cause themselves that irritation to, uh, to atone. So again, not going to chase another squirrel, but just to expand on this some more. We've talked about this before with other saints um, who have done this. They're called mortifications. You know, wearing a hair shirt um, is very uncomfortable. It's very scratchy. It's very sticky. Um, you know, they do also self-flagellation, which means they whip themselves. Um, they wear spiked belts. They wear chains with iron balls around their ankles. Um, I don't think it's that much practice anymore, but, you know, you get the idea of what he's pointing out with asceticism now. You know, I, again, I always caution strongly um, to not go to extremes on asceticism. If you if this is your life profession, you know, to become a monk or a nun and, and you're directed by your spiritual guide, uh, your spiritual father or mother to do these things, and, you know, I can't go against them, nor would I, but for the average everyday person listening to this show, I, I strongly disagree with anything causing your self-harm. I don't believe that's what the divine would want any of us to do in order to um, to build up endurance and, and faith. And, you know, the only thing that is required that I, that I per again, this is me personally, where they always talk about asceticism, I replace that with word with discipline. Um, to me, I am very straight out marine boot camp in my ways of study and practice. Um, that's just me. And, uh, you know, I don't cause myself harm, but I'm very, very disciplined and very, very diligent um, um, in my ways. And that's how I teach and share in is that, you know, I don't expect people to be um, as disciplined as me, but I greatly encourage discipline um, because it to me that is the is good as asceticism, if not better. If you're disciplined with your studies and with your practices, you know there's no limit to how far you can go in your faith. You've got to have that conviction, that discipline, that drive. You've got to have that because if you're lacking that, then of course the world will easily distract you with so many things, whether it be media or world events or neighbors or the dog barking next door or, you know, it goes on and on. The guy cutting you off in traffic. There are so many things in this world um, that distract us if we are not diligent and disciplined. Um, we've, we've got to dig deep, as I always say. Um, so anyway, <laughs> getting back to the article. Sorry, folks. So Father Lazarus continues by saying, does this make sense? I think it does, I replied. This is the author of the book. So long as we remain clear that the object of such restraint is the attainment of genuine spiritual knowledge. 
Cassian speaks out of it as a kind of ripening of judgment. To achieve it, however, we must also address those seven principal errors of behavior that cloud such judgment. We cannot escape the reality that all actions are governed in varying degrees by these. The early fathers did not beat about the bush when they named them either. And even today, though we may resort to psychology to explain our motives, the plain fact is that these faults in our character need to be acknowledged. You mean they shouldn't be put on one side but actually named? And that's the author asking the question of Father Lazarus. And Father Lazarus replies, Cassian did so, so why can't we? They haven't lost any of their power to diminish our sensibility nor our spiritual growth simply because we refuse to do so. In many ways, I think we are afraid of naming the old strictures these days simply because we believe we have outgrown them. It is as if we have lost the ability to gaze directly at ourselves and prefer instead to view ourselves as though through a prism, thus breaking up our, our self-image into many different permutations, so many subtle hues. It is clearly as a result of our penchant for psychoanalysis, which distorts even the value of our flaws. And then the author asks, what you are suggesting is that we have achieved a state of lukewarmness in relation to the way we conduct ourselves. There is no heat in our convictions because we have allowed our inner lives to grow cold. And Father Lazarus says, putting it that way suggests that we have not understood the need to chart a middle course through the shallows of extremes. Rather, we delight in subjecting ourselves to such extremes. This is not the path of discretion, replied Lazarus. Quite the contrary, the, guy, uh, the author says. We have become saturated in infectual decorative feelings and activities without aim. And then Father Lazarus says, discretion is opposed to this. It is opposed to the pleasurable and picturesque. It's the reason why the Desert Fathers turned their back upon normal human activity, I believe. They felt it was impossible to achieve a genuine spiritual understanding in the world. But in those days, they saw the world as an objective reality. We, now, we know our otherwise. Today we know that the so-called world is a projection of our inner condition. He's talking about a relative. To deny this reality is to enter the true desert. It's why I feel we must conjure up our own inner desert. So and he's talking about transcending today's world, our world, the world we live in, the relative, and moving into the ultimate reality, transcending relative reality and moving into ultimate, something we've spoken about all season long on the show. Even here on Mount Colsum, I'm much occupied with the question of this interior desert. It's not for nothing that Anthony called such a place the inner mountain. He knew, I'm sure, that he was merely playing with metaphors. Then the inner mountain is also made up of our flaws inasmuch as they are acknowledged, yes? What many associate with death, Father Lazarus identifies with life. As he says, coming to the desert and becoming a hermit, it was like I was dead and came to life. Father Lazarus L. 
Anthony is a man who defies logic, like St. Anthony, but 17 centuries later, he sets out on an endeavor that defies aspirations common to most humans. He chooses poverty over luxury, hunger over greed, celibacy over lust, solitary life over prominence, non-material aspiration over riches, and the denial of all family affections as the basis of a new kind of adventure. It seems almost as if he wishes to deny everything that made the human life worthwhile, yet the stillness of the desert becomes his metaphor for being. His ageless encounter with lifelessness as a principle of rectitude. Here is a man living like St. Anthony who had forsaken the world in the pursuit of what the Desert Fathers called apatheia, holy stillness. Though for many solitary life would seem to be a lonely life, Father Lazarus from the beginning believed that the desert is a place where he could find life in all its fullness, a place where he would encounter his Savior and find his salvation. Among stones, sand, and thirst, he found his identification. He claims he is not alone and never felt alone. As he says, I am alone from human company, but human company is not what I am seeking. I am seeking spiritual company, and I have it. Living just on bread and water, occasionally honey, the only thing Father Lazarus desires is to sustain his faith and focus on God. In the course of eight years, he dug miles of hiking trail with his bare hands that lead to his cave from the bottom of the mountain. He finds that the foreign desert is his home, and despite all the hardships and terrible dangers, he perseveres. So thank you all for allowing me to share with you Father Lazarus L. Anthony, he is absolutely one of my favorite um, beings. Um, I actually have a picture of him on my home altar, uh, among, among many other pictures. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with the extreme asceticism, as I said earlier, but I do get the point. I do see where he's pointing. And by him pointing... He helps us to see the way and see how we can make it our way. You know, how we can take that mystic journey or add this to our toolbox uh, along the way of our faith journey, our mystical journey, whatever journey you are on. Uh, all of these tools can greatly help. Like I said, you don't have to be an extreme ascetic or an ascetic at all to derive benefits from these sage words and uh, from these great beings, great saints and great masters. We are so blessed, you know, even though he's a hermit and he hardly ever comes out, uh, we are so very blessed that he is in our lifetime, you know, alive and well. And I highly recommend the book. Uh, I know I have not read it yet. Yes, it's on my, <laughs> it's on the show's wish list if anyone wants to gift it. <laughs> no, that's not a hint. Just letting you all know I don't have this book yet, but I do plan on getting the book because if I mean we just had this excerpt from it and it's just wow it's mind-blowing it's really really good stuff and there's so much on YouTube uh, about Father Lazarus um, L. Anthony and I will have a link to uh, one of the YouTube channels 
that has an amazing catalog of uh, YouTube videos. There was a whole series um, the Christian Broadcasting Channel did where they actually sat down and did a documentary and, and interviewed uh, Father Lazarus at great length. It is amazing. It's so beautiful. It's you know outside his monastery. I mean, outside his cave where he lives. He takes you inside his cave and shows you you know how it's just just little things. You know, there's not much there compared to how we live. You know, uh, in our world. But it's just, it's so awe-inspiring. It's so very much inspiring. Um, and it can really help, he can help take your faith to a whole new level. So again, I will have a link to that uh, YouTube channel as well as everything I've talked about today in the show notes. Prayer requests for this week are as follows. Mike S., I just spoke with Mike a little bit earlier in the week and was very happy to report that I think he went to his doctor on Monday and um, he only had one incident uh, tracked on his pacemaker with his heart. So all in all, he's doing very good and he does not need the ablation yet. So let's please keep the prayers going for Mike S. So that doesn't have to happen. And he continues to do well and lives a very long and healthy life because he does so much for so many. Next is Bob. He has stage two follicular lymphoma. Uh, Bob had some issues last week. He was supposed to go for his third round of chemo treatment on Monday and Tuesday. However, his uh, liver numbers were way off, so they postponed it to this week. Uh, so let's hope and pray that uh, Bob's liver is rebounding and doing better and that he's able to get the chemo third round treatment this Monday and Tuesday, which will be tomorrow and, and Tuesday. And that he recovers quickly and well, and that this cancer just goes away. Next, we have general prayers for, and this is for health and well-being for Elaine, Lana, Clyde, Kathy, Michael T., Megan, Molly, and Gwen, and Jean. And also want to make note that Emma had her shoulder surgery this past uh, Monday, or was it Tuesday? the 13th, and um, she is now recovering, so let us keep her in our healing prayers that she heals quickly and fully. And if you weren't able to jot all, oh, I almost forgot one, Father Mike Cantor, let's please keep Father Mike in our hearts and prayers always. He is still struggling with what all that he's going through, uh, still no firm diagnosis yet, and just a lot of medications really messing with him. So, as I was about to say, um, we can always find the details of these prayers and the list of these prayers on our website. And I'll have that information here in just a moment at the end of the show. Um, that way, if you weren't able to write it all down as quick as I went through it, you'll be able to go to the website, either print it out or um, do a screenshot and save it on your phone or tablet. And thank you all, please, please thank you so, so much for not skipping over our prayer request. It is a big part of what this show and what we are all about. We're here for each other. We're here to pray for each other and uplift, strengthen, and encourage and love each other. So thank you so much for listening to this in its entirety and for all of your prayers. Let us pray. In nomine divi, Fili Espiritus Sancti. 
O great divine, thank you that we are all a family, brothers and sisters, each and every one of us. Help us to share your love and legacy with everyone that we encounter this week. May we lavish your abounding goodness upon our families, our friends, our colleagues. Please come and equip us in our workplace, guide us in our school life, and inspire us in our neighborhood. May we be your hands and feet to the needy, your words of affirmation to the oppressed, and your arms of comfort to the lonely. Thank you for choosing to use us to do your will here on earth. Amen. In nomine divi fili spiritus sancti. So before we go, I do have one quick reminder. I know, like I'm quick with anything. I'm such a windbag. But no, seriously, I guess I was being serious. I don't know. <laughs> Is the pet show that's going to be coming up it's going to be our season finale if you're new to the show this is the first time you've heard this if you are a longtime listener you've heard me talk about this uh for quite some time now so if you're one of those people that's waiting to the last minute you're almost there i mean i know we're at what episode here but it's it's fast approaching and i need a little time to be able to record this episode and i've received a few people with entries but I haven't received stories. I'm, I'm, I've just received like, hey, mention Fufulu Pup Pup. And it's like, uh, okay, but what about Fufulu Pup Pup? You know, what was Fufulu Pup Pup to you? You know, what, you know, give me the story of said Fufulu Pup Pup, you know? Because <laughs> that's what the show is going to be all about is sharing the live and stories of these amazing uh, fur babies or furless babies or whatever these pets or as we say children or babies are to us uh, on this episode so i mean i could just say hey you know so and so said hey mention fufulu pup pup okay i just mentioned fufulu pup pup but then you're all scratching your head like me saying what about it you know what about fufulu you know who was fufulu so or pup pup <laughs> whatever you called it so please if you've already written me or contacted me a lot of you <laughs> that are family can contact me directly by phone or text um please write me back text me again with the story you know email me with the story and if you're waiting to the last minute you know time's ticking uh take a moment you know share the story of your beloved pets your beloved fufulu pup pup <laughs> so i can share that story with everyone that listens to the show and those of you who are new to the show don't know how to contact me but that information is coming up here just a moment those of you longtime listeners already know it's at the end of every show I so hope and pray that you all have enjoyed the show and that you found everything that you are searching for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. Please don't be a stranger. Come around anytime, all the time. We now have an Amazon.com wish list for the show for anyone who would like to make an offering. A link can always be found in the show notes and show description. 
I'm always open to questions and suggestions. We have people listening from all over the world. There are amazing beings, past and present, in your country, society, and culture that we and the rest of the world do not know about, but we should. Please, please, please contact me and share these amazing beings so the world can learn about them. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our listeners love to pray. So let us pray for you. There are two ways that you can do this. The first is to email me directly at faithandmorepodcast. That's all one word, faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. The second way is through our website. There's a contact form on the website. And you can find our website at faithandmorepodcast. Again, that's all one word, faithandmorepodcast.wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash my dash site s-i-t-e so until next week have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers bless you